Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome everyone to another episode of Positively Trek. My name is Barry and as always is the illustrious Mr. Dan Gunther. And we're here to talk to you about the most recent episodes of Star Trek Prodigy. <laughs> what is on my mind? Mm, interesting. <laughs> you know what? We'll leave that in. We're going to be talking about Lower Decks. Definitely. I promise. But we're really excited about some of the news that's happening, and uh, and and it is a good thing. So uh, all I gotta say is uh, we did it, folks. Yeah. Um, hashtag saved Star Trek Prodigy. <laughs> right. We just we just yelled it at the top of our lungs on every social media app and flew a plane <laughs> over <laughs> several different studios and really really like gave it gave it gave it the gears and obviously my my lovely co-host and I we we didn't do that much other than just sort of murmur and sound annoyed I think more than anything but <laughs> our, uh, our attempt at signal boosting I guess but uh, the signal was out there we added our tiny little chirp of a voice to it there you go exactly our our noisy cricket made <laughs> made uh, made the day there so yeah we've just really tumbled into this opening so uh that didn't work out isn't the usual way we start but uh i had a freudian slip i guess you could say (laughs) so uh the cat's out of the bag um we are going to be talking about the three latest episodes of lower decks kind of what we think um pretty much all my predictions were completely wrong and i'm happy about that Mm. and we can talk about it too so um yeah, other than that, how are things in your neck of the woods, Mr. Dan? Not too bad. Uh, mostly over the sickness that <laughs> has hit our household. Uh, lingering a little bit in the form of various coughs and that sort of thing. But back to work, um, you know, missing four days out of the uh, first two weeks of a new job is not the best uh, foot to start off on. So, you know, making up for lost time there, I hope. <laughs> Yeah, welcome welcome to the post-COVID reality where sickness comes in horrifying waves and everyone gets knocked on their arse for a couple of days and got to look after you, right? That's mm-hmm. the most important part. And I mean, I actually ended up uh, sick and off for a little while myself. Um, I'm still actually quite stuffed up and still have a cough a month in, so here we go. But uh, I did get a chance actually to uh, do a little bit of binge watching of uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine again, which nice. is nice. Nice. Yeah, it was good. It was good. I I gave myself three hours with uh, Captain Cisco and his ragtag group of misfits in the Dominion War. So oh, that was pretty very good. cool. So which which episodes did you watch? If you don't mind my asking, I started with the Gem Hadar. Ooh, uh, just because I like starting with that one. They're way out in the middle of nowhere. If the Dominion comes through the wormhole, the first battle would be fought here, and I intend to be ready for them. Exactly. So, I mean, how do you say no to that one? So, obviously, we went there. Um, the next one I watched was the ever lovely um, In the Pale Moonlight. Mm, um, mm-hmm. It just, I don't know. I, I kind of, I, I needed comfort food. And uh, in times like this, it's just sort of nice to see someone, though, of course, maybe not necessarily going about it the best way. Uh, we At least Cisco is decisive, isn't he? After that, I made myself a plan that I was going to watch the the Eddington arc um, mm. and I only ended up getting through uh, for the uniform uh, and I wasn't even in order so yeah I was just I, I looked for my first Eddington uh, movie because we'd been talking about it so recently so yeah but I fell asleep so no nah. just uh, just as uh, just as Eddington was doing his first speech on the 3d transporter. <laughs> Yeah. Or not the, the transport of the 3D hollow hollow communicator thing. thing. Yeah. Hollow communicator that really never gets any play until Star Trek Discovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It turns out in Deep Space Nine, they were dusting off, a, you know, 150 year old technology. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I, I love those little bits of uh, entertaining and fun continuity. <laughs> Other than that, in the news, it's just been a pretty hard time, I think, on social media altogether. So I think, again, is another time to... Uh, look at the uh, Star Trek universe for what exactly to do in in sticky situations and uh, 
just sort of saying at this point, I think uh, we're just hoping that the guns simply fall silent in the Middle East. Um, just, just stop, stop shooting, stop bombing, stop it. Here, here. So that we can actually figure out how to allow for people to coexist. And I think as lovers of the concept of Star Trek Federation, IDIC, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, we need to stand up and say, stop the fighting, right? Completely. 100%. Now, I think also when we talk about the concepts of decolonization, right, as Canadians, we need to look at that ourselves, settler colonialism, all that uh, stuff and the implications that it has. But at this moment in time, we're heading into genocide territory. And, um, you know, I think, what is it? Every 15 minutes, one Palestinian child is dying statistically since Saturday. So stop. That's that's where I'm I'm saying is 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 get your finger off the trigger and uh, let's start talking here here. So on a, on a much lighter and happier note, and something that I think is worth a little bit of celebrating, and for the Star Trek fans out there who really put their backs into this one, um, a major pat on that back. Um, we're really really happy that Star Trek Prodigy is headed to Netflix. So. Most people I know still kind of have Netflix for some reason, or at least they haven't canceled their subscriptions. So here is a reason to stay with Netflix for a little while, hey? Absolutely. It's it's moved farther up the list of subscriptions of mine now. Like I, I kind of have this list in my head and the bottom one sometimes drops away. And Netflix kind of had been on the bottom lately and was kind of toying with the idea of like, well, do we really? Yep. Nope. We need it. Thank you, Netflix. You have earned yeah. my continued subscription. <laughs> yeah. For literally this exact precise show and really nothing else. <laughs> I, hate, I hate to be a cynic. I'm sure there are other delightful things, but uh, as much as I'm happy that Netflix is taking it, um, still, everybody, mark my words, I will be owning the DVD seasons of season one and two, um, just in case Netflix decides to take the fickle approach and drop Prodigy at a whim at some point in the future, which apparently it seems every streaming fat platform is on the cusp of doing at any point in time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we do know, of course, that that season one is going to be dropping on Netflix later this year. So before the end of the year, 2023. So I'm, I'm going to put this out there to you folks. We, we've got to play the capitalism game a little bit here in that I know you all have already seen season one. And, uh, you know, you're probably waiting eagerly for season two, which Netflix says will appear on their platform in 2024 next year. Do everyone a favor, do the showrunners a favor, do the hard workers behind that series a favor, and, you know, do the shareholders of Netflix a favor too, and stream that first season. Stream it often, stream it uh, with gusto, because you know, Netflix is going to look at those numbers and they're going to see if this was a good investment or not. And I will definitely be rewatching season one on Netflix, even though I have it on Blu-ray, I've seen it already. I will be streaming it again just to kind of give Netflix that little reminder that, Hey, this is a good show. It's worth having. It's worth watching. It's worth continuing. We know we'll get season two. It's a very, very long shot that there might be a season three at some point, but let's make that an easy decision for Netflix if they decide to give the producers of the show a bunch of money to give them a third season because seasons one and two made them so much money. I definitely am going to look forward to doing a rewatch of the first season. I, I mean, I only really watched it through once anyway. So, I mean, there's obviously bits I must have missed and, and, and stuff like that. And I think we have desired to, you know, maybe return because I don't think we got through all the characters appropriately either. I think we kind of gave it like a pretty nice sort of satellite view, but I'd love to do a little more in-depth conversation on uh, on Star Trek Prodigy itself. And I think this would be a great way to to drum up interest and support. And you're right, we, we do kind of have to play that game a little bit because, you know, the, the shareholders of any streaming company, of really any large company like that, are going to be extremely fickle and incredibly reactive, right? That's, that's what we've realized, right? And only through extreme pressure will they bend to anything. I mean, look at the, the writers and the actors guild strikes, right? Like, mm -hmm. what was it? They, they said something like this would mean for some streaming platforms or, or, or studios, I can't remember what, that they would be like getting like a 0.73 drop in their income over time to, to basically 
cave to the demands of the actors and it's like, and they're not budging. So yeah, I think, you know, we do this a, because I think it's just fun. B it's, it's a good show anyway. Um, and C so that, you know, they keep this thing on Netflix so that we can watch it. And so our kids can watch it because that would be really great. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Star Trek prodigy is the most accessible Star Trek show for young fans. I know Lower Decks is, you know, kind of along that Rick and Morty sort of fun kind of thing. And I think, you know, some teenagers would probably enjoy it too. But like Prodigy is good if you're seven, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. <laughs> or if you're seven D, right? It totally. is literally designed for the family to enjoy. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great, great show. For sure. And just as a little addition to this as well, uh, I have noticed, uh, kind of a tweet that came from Mike McMahon in recent days that's gotten a lot of traction, kind of talking about these issues with regards to Lower Decks. And this thing with Star Trek Prodigy, it's kind of the best news in Star Trek we've gotten in a while after a bit of a string of some bad news. You know, the the initial cancellation of Prodigy, the cancellation of Discovery after five seasons. Now, I love Lower Decks, and I know a lot of Star Trek fans do as well, and Mike McMahon kind of raised, not the alarm, I would say, but a note of concern that these things happen in the television world, and Lower Decks is not immune to it as well. So, again, watch watch often, watch with gusto, let the studio know how much you love that show, stream it, watch it, (laughs) talk about it. Let's keep these shows going, because... Yeah, the the decisions made by some of these higher ups are concerning and your favorite show, whatever that show is, is not immune to it. So be protective of the things you love. I fully agree. Well, in a wild twist of also sometimes things that you thought are gone just suddenly appear again. What's that, Captain? Off the port bow, I see the white whale. It's the fourth (laughs) JJ-verse movie for some reason. So (laughs) it's saying here on TrekMovie.com, Paramount reportedly working to get Star Trek IV into pre-production, quote-unquote, quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're getting chased by that weird, crazy ice creature. Yeah. Like uh, uh, from 2009 Trek and like they've got to do this fast because it's screaming and howling at them <laughs> coming, coming quickly. And there's there's no Spock with a torch anywhere to stop it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm you know, I, th- I think you've already done a good job of pointing out the irony of that headline. Uh, yeah, let's get to that movie quickly. Good job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Well, man, I mean, this is coming off the heels of the end of the WGA strike. So the writers are back to work and I think there's pressure for the studios to kind of get things out and get things in production. Right. So, yeah, uh, Star Trek, you'd think I'm going to say a sentence here that is also ironic. Star Trek's an easy one. Maybe not based on the track record of the last few years when it comes to films, but it is a property that they own that has 13 films, right? So you'd think you can get another one out. And that seems to be kind of uh, where they're putting some of their energy, or at least that's what they're saying. I, I hope it's true. I also hope they don't rush out any old crap. I hope they take their time with it and make a good film, but... We'll see. Well, yeah. Like, I, I think that's the other piece of it, you know, is like, are they grasping at, at, at something to throw out there, you know, to, you know, to, to get just movies out and, and going again? Like, I guess that's the other piece of this is, is, you know, since the advent of the internet and, you know, no longer blockbusters and all that sort of stuff, you know, movie revenues used to be based a lot more on their, their rental and purchase, not actually in the box office. And I think Mm. in a lot of ways you wind up with um, movies that are really trying to tick a lot of boxes and try to get as much revenue as possible. And that's why I find, you know, a lot of movies these days are, are, are kind of irrelevant or, or kind of boring and vapid, right? Is, is because like they're, they're just, just a bunch of stuff screaming at you for a while and then it's, it's kind of over. And, and I, I would be, yeah, the word quickly, first of all, is ironic because it's, this is now what, half a decade in the making. Um, and two, quickly is in like are you guys just going to rattle out some kind of schlock right as as you were saying so mm-hmm. i mean it sounds positive the cast looks ready to go at least that's what they're saying so i mean to get zachary quinto and chris pine and you know everyone back together again i'm 
maybe a little skeptical about that. Like but, Zoe Saldana? Uh, <laughs> she's yeah, like, had a pretty big renaissance in her career. You know. Yeah, she's yeah. I mean, it's kind of the Michelle Yeoh syndrome. Like, mm-hmm. a look at how many great actors have have come and gone through um, through Star Trek. Like, just with Zoe Saldana and Michelle Yeoh specifically talking about them. Like, that's that's quite the pedigree, right? We should be proud of ourselves. But also, like, when you're that famous and talented, you're not cheap anymore either, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, I mean, I'm wondering what, it, and you're also not going to tie yourself to a script that sucks, right? I'm, I'm guessing they have shrewd managers who know what to avoid. Um, so, you know, I, I think this, this should be done quickly as in like, you know, soon enough that we can see it, you know, before five years elapses again, but also like, don't, don't just throw a bunch of Star Trek at us kind of thing, right? Like, Absolutely. let's be measured. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, the JJ Abrams Trek, the Kelvin timeline, as they call it, not my favorite part of Star Trek. It's just, that's just needs to be said, but it's not something I hate either. And I think they've proven they can do really interesting, good stuff with those characters. You know, it's not that setting doesn't necessarily equal not good Trek, right? You can get really good Trek out of that. So uh, just like any any part of Star Trek, you can get good and bad Trek out of it. We've witnessed that over the years, right? So Heavens. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I would love to see something come together again quickly with those those quote marks around it depending on what they mean by that absolutely that's that's it right is is let's let's not be let's not be silly here everyone right Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think is ultimately it and to say this you know star trek um jj star trek is what got me back into trek again Mm -hmm. absolutely so i'll I'll always give them i'll always give them that credit yeah one of my best star trek friends who i then after star trek 2009 we went on to watch all of star trek together uh Mm -hmm. shout out to one of my best friends bobby she is a huge star trek fan now thanks to that 2009 film and credit to her she watched it all tos right up through and enjoyed like 99.99% of it. So that is brilliant. Let's make more Star Trek fans, folks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I think we can take a little break here and get on to the main topic. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Positively Trek. We truly do appreciate each and every one of our listeners, and I'd like to especially thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of Positively Trek and join our crew, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, ad-free episodes and more again that's patreon.com slash positively trek thank you all and live long and prosper welcome back and it's lower decks time and i'm glad it's lower decks time we're going to talk about the latest three episodes um they have been entertaining and fun and interesting and i can usually get dinner made in an episode they're they're very short i I do appreciate them it makes them rewatchable too because like yeah, I could just throw it like 20 more minutes on, you know, whatever. So I feel like um, this TV show is going to become very much a bingeable, especially this season. It's been it's been fun. So starting with empatho- empathological fallacies, uh, don't don't uh, spell that one wrong. I've, I've seen it spelled wrong on like TV guides and in other places everywhere. And, so. and by me several times on my YouTube channel. <laughs> Apparently, I tell you. <laughs> empathological fallacies, first of all. I have to say, how much do you love Talin? Like, Talin has just been such a bright star this season. And the episode's about her. How could this fail? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I've really, really enjoyed um, Talin as a, just sort of like a, a guest, a guest star, you know, like she's... She's coming in. We're getting to get to know her character a lot more. I feel like actually a lot of work is being done for Vulcans as well, right? Not, not since to Paul. I feel have we really had this um, 
sort of an intimate look at sort of the the character building of a Vulcan, right? Mm-hmm. I, I really do appreciate, uh, really do appreciate Talyn. Yeah, I kind of, I, I made this joke with Brandy earlier. I kind of want to do like a spectrum of Vulcans. And I think like on one end, you have just the best people in the universe. And on the other end, you have total complete jerks. And like Vulcans <laughs> can fall anywhere on that spectrum. And like Talyn is right on that, you know, awesome person side. Uh, you know, on the, on the other side of that, we'd throw in like Captain Soval who challenges Cisco to baseball and that Vulcan lawyer in uh, Strange New Worlds. <laughs> Just complete <Yeah>. total jerks. <laughs> yeah. But Talyn is the exact opposite of that. She's amazing. Well, I like how Talyn's sort of -of matter-of-fact style about realizing that she's actually the cause of all of this, too. You know, she's like, it would appear that blah, 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 like her her very matter-of-fact talk. But then you're kind of like, oh, wow, you know, Vulcans really are a deep well, aren't they? Mm -hmm. You know, like still waters run deep. And uh, you you get this impression of just how actually emotional uh, Vulcans truly are. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's totally a it's totally a misconception that Vulcans are emotionless, right? They have passions that run deeper than human emotions, as we've learned. As Mariner says in this episode, man, Vulcan brains are crazy strong. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess to some degree, I have been called the Vulcan before, and it comes down to the fact that I use big words as a defense mechanism. Uh, and so do Vulcans, um, which is interesting. And and so I, I typically find the way they, they sort of use their words, the way they kind of put things together. And I don't have any specific quotes. I was relying on you for that, Dan. Um, but some of the Talin quotes in this episode, I think, are like quotable Trek for a long time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the the bleeping is going to be heavy in this, but I have now seen t-shirts that actually say fully uncensored Vulcan is a motherfucker. Yeah. Uh, I love that. <laughs> By the transitive property, it would seem that I too am Vulcan as a motherfucker. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Or the earlier, earlier on when they were on Orion and she, she made that comment about like that ripped Orion and she's like something about him is appealing or, or whatever. <laughs> he but... is aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> there you go. See, this is why, I, this is why I, I could never actually be a Vulcan because I can't, I can't quote stuff like that. Whereas a Vulcan <laughs> probably would be able to. No, it was a, it was a great character piece. Really did um, give us a lot more to learn about Talyn. And I honestly hope, you know, we get to see more of her moving forward. Um, the Betazoids were very much enjoyable. They, um, I think they do Deanna Troy's portrayal proud. And, and, and the twist was, was wonderful. I, mm. was, I was dead positive they were up to no good the whole way through. Yeah, they set that up nicely, making us think that we're ahead of the episode, right? Like, oh, obviously it's the Betazoids. Come on, why aren't you cluing into this? Oh, Wait, never mind. And and the kind of riff on the fact that when they played that uh, plot point in Deep Space Nine in Fascination, that Loxana Troy's emotions were, you know, affecting all the crew around them, that it was just a total rehash of Sarek doing that to the TNG crew in, in The Next Generation. Yeah. And yeah. the captain basically pointing that out at the end of the episode, like, I can't believe I mistook Vulcan empathic influence with Betazoid empathic influence. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful like the the meta humor is always so good and uh yeah yeah that was wonderful also wendy malik as one of the the betazoids i don't know if you know her from uh, my references as have been pointed out to me are very out of date but she was in a 90s sitcom called just shoot me as a character called nina van horn oh yes sorry i'm googling i totally she was in um hot in cleveland right yes that's what somebody told me and i was like i'm old and out of touch and did not know that (laughs) that was her yes she bears a bit of a resemblance a younger resemblance to um the lady who played the mom in arrested development to me oh yeah yeah i could see that yeah, there's a bit of she's he's she's much younger, but mm-hmm. yeah, the, the similar similar kind of look. Yeah, she's also uh, played. I, I can't remember the character's name, but she was Pacha's wife in The Emperor's New Groove, which is like my favorite Disney film of all time. I love that movie. It it is mine as well, and I didn't know that. Well, there you go. I and I didn't know. I wouldn't. I mean, I saw the word like the name Wendy Malick, but I did not make that um, connection when I was watching the credits. So that that's great. What a cool little little tidbit. 
That might get my wife to watch that episode because she likes Wendy Malick quite a bit, come to think of it. Nice. So, that's awesome. Yeah. You get to see her hit on Captain Freeman. So that's kind of cool. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Making her just as uncomfortable as Luxana made Jean-Luc. So. Exactly. Well, I don't know. I think Betazoids are, would be loads of fun. And, and I guess like the other bit of that is just sort of the, the true contrast I find of not an overly emotional species, but a, a species that very much can read others' emotions quite well, like a Betazoid. Mm-hmm. And then another species that is so incredibly, you know, disciplined and very specific with their emotions. I wonder, have we ever met a Betazoid Vulcan? Hmm. I don't think so, but that would be an interesting uh, combination for sure. If I was to create my own character in Star Trek, I've decided I would be a Betazoid Vulcan. That's pretty cool. You know, actually, it's reminding me now of Voyager. We had the Betazoid serial killer, basically. Lon Suter and his oh, his interactions with Tuvok I always found very fascinating to coin a term and like they're kind of interplay off each other as two telepathic species and with very different approaches to emotion I thought was interesting I wouldn't mind watching those again it's been a long time I can't say I've actually seen it but I know the synopsis hmm. so that's good enough I suppose for now <laughs> uh, I want to mention the Romulans lurking on the border of the neutral zone and when the Cerritos turns turns around (laughs) and then they like pick another place to go lurk let's go lurk over there (laughs) (laughs) no it's good and and also I mean like earlier obviously we met some Romulans who got collected I guess we can say now because we're we're at that point where we know thank you Jeffrey Combs as Agamus But that's for later. We'll, we'll get to a few badgies more in a moment. So I guess, you know, some final thoughts on empathological fallacies. I think, again, we're seeing our lieutenant junior grades um, rising to the occasion again. And um, I do appreciate the fun little um, initiation game that poor Bormler has to go through and Shaq's kind of being like, oh, crap, we were just trying to like have fun with you man (laughs) (laughs) i i did really enjoy that as a b plot i thought that was good and and actually had like a good kind of teachable moment for boimler as well yeah definitely and and i mean i guess that's the other thing is wouldn't it be interested interesting if uh we worked in a place where people just kind of wore their emotions on their sleeve all the time and were very not not very good at, at regulating all the time due to you know, not being able to handle very complex emotions as they were coming in. Oh, wait, I do uh, work <laughs> in a place like that. Um, anyways, it's it's a good place and I love it. But um, I do think, you know, sometimes we do have a lot that is on our mind. And I think a lot of people bring a lot of those things with them places they go without even knowing they're doing it. So I think another kind of uh, to to take from our friends at uh, Mission Log, the messages, morals and meanings that they always always say, mm. I think I think there is something deeper in the meaning of this episode, especially around how we manage and communicate our emotions. And I know that's kind of after school, especially, but I think it's a really positive thing. And that's what we're all about here on Positively Trek. For sure. And I I think it's something that Lower Decks is very much about. I think that uh, that message is very much on display here. And and I, I feel like that's a, a theme that's running through the show quite a bit. You know, we see the Starfleet ship as, as wacky as their adventures are. It's a model for how a workplace should be run mm-hmm. with the exception of the captain making everybody lose their buffer time and stuff. There's stumbles along the way, but for the <laughs> most part, you know, they really do try to model what the ideal treatment of people as human beings should be. And uh, that's a thing that's going to come up again in a different way in another episode we talk about. So, yeah. Well, I think with that, we can probably move, unless you've got any final thoughts on uh, empathological fallacies. I don't think so. I think, uh, I think we covered it pretty well. I I really enjoyed that one. Again, Talyn is just one of my favorite characters. Unfortunately, gets a little sidelined for the next few episodes but uh yeah just not around (laughs) yeah oh and i want to do that malcolm reed puzzle oh absolutely that would be amazing (laughs) (laughs) but but specifically with shacks (laughs) yes so the next episode is uh the sixth in the season uh 36th overall parth ferengi's heart place which 
is mealy-mouthed and is a connection, uh, as you've said before, Dan, to Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, a British comedy that I watched when I lived in England and thought was, you know, very surrealist and funny and weird and, and good. It's got uh, Richard Iote in it, who I, I always really enjoy. And the other guy from What We Do in the Shadows, whose name has suddenly escaped me. That's Matt Berry, my good lad. <laughs> Thank you very much. That was most needed absolutely good job everyone i'm going back to bed now um, <laughs> huge matt berry a, fan and richard iwade fan so yeah yeah loads <laughs> of fun and as i mean maybe i need to watch it again i don't recall and and maybe this is our, our positively trek friends in the chat uh on facebook maybe you could enlighten us what did i miss um brandon <laughs> williams wrote it Apparently he, or sorry, he directed it. It was written by Colin Crawford, who yes. must be a Garth Marenghi's uh, Dark Place fan for some reason. And so far, this is all Colin has written, and um, it's fun. It's it's a it's a nifty take on the um, the Ferengis now that they have kind of moved more into an egalitarian uh, style of uh, of Ferengi world. They're not as as cutthroat capitalist as they were. I guess you could say they've moved more into a progressive approach. Maybe they're uh, less libertarian and more liberal democratic right now. Um, how did you feel about the, the portrayal of just sort of Ferenginar uh, and the Ferengi in general in this kind of new paradigm they're in? I, I really enjoyed it because I feel like change happens slowly but it has happened about as fast as it possibly could for the ferengi like rom i was really excited to see what ferenginar under rom's leadership would look like and mm -hmm. i think it makes sense you know we've got these reforms happening they're chugging along it's not changing overnight but you know rom's a union man he's he's getting them there and I, you love to see it uh <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that. And uh, I'm such a huge Rom fan. I love that character so much. And Lita, like the two of them, uh, they're doing great for Franganar as Grand Nagus and First Clerk. So, oh, I mean, I've, I've, I'll never forget Max Grudanchik uh, at um, STLV, him just shortly before he burst into tears saying, Rom is the man I wish I was. Yeah. Uh, there's something about Max Grudanchik in his humanity and character that I've always really enjoyed. And, and I love Chase Masterson is nothing but a class act. And so getting to see them back again in cartoon form has been nothing but fun. Um, I also appreciate the way they kind of play off each other where Rom is, I, I guess, you know, kind of playing the fool, mm -hmm. wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I mean, I, I was for a brief brief fleeting second fearful about the characterization of rom in lower decks i was like oh mm -hmm. no the writer doesn't get what rom is and and how he is no yeah he does he gets it because what they're doing at this point what rom is doing is playing off that initial impression for his own advantage which is the most mm -hmm. frangy thing that a friend you could do uh if you think back to season one of deep space nine quark mentions to odo that oh his replicators were repaired by rom odo deduces that quark was lying and as he says to quark later rom couldn't fix a straw if it were bent well he sure showed them because over the course of the next few seasons you find out he's an engineering genius and exactly i love that and i mean I don't necessarily think that was the intention in season one when they introduced Quark's idiot brother. He was probably just Quark's idiot brother. And then yeah. they said, ooh, you know what we could do with this character? And the rest, as they say, is history. I also want to say a few weeks ago on this very podcast, I said one of the things I want to see in Lower Decks is something of political import happening that will like influence the rest of the the galaxy and stuff the ferengi have now applied to join the federation i think in a in a lower decks episode i think that's really really cool that is unprecedented and something that honestly you know the ferengi are going to have to parse with a currencyless society however if you look in picard later on after this they definitely are a society that is using currency again um, so maybe there's some deeper continuity happening here, or maybe we're grasping at straws, whatever headcanon, this is fun. Um, 
I think maybe one thing I would say uh, if I was to speak to Rom, if I got the chance, was, you know, definitely Bar Association, one of my favorite episodes of Deep Space Nine. I think, um, you know, he, he learned what he had to about the Union Man, and I think that's also wonderful. But if he continues on his Irish history, he would read the likes of Mr. James Connolly, who would very rightly say that if... Um, we just paint it over it Mm -hmm. and don't change the system radically and completely shift it. Um, We're really just reproducing the exact same thing. So the good part about Rom and Lita is that they are, you know, obviously doing this in the interests of the Ferengi, but who is going to replace Rom after this, right? When Rom dies, there could be a new leader who may go in a negative or perhaps we could say, um, you know, backward direction and take Ferenginar back into the the chaos that it was once in so i do think to some degree rom needs to read some rosa luxembourg next uh reform or revolution um Mm -hmm. that would be his next uh, his next big thing and i'd love to see him lead a revolution against uh his own leadership i think that would be a very rom thing to do oh uh, because he would he would do it right (laughs) (laughs) oh man but in the meantime you know we still have uh hallmarks of Ferengi society like Pogandar, cop landlords. <laughs> well, I mean, so many shots across like the 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 kind of the neoliberal bow, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of, you know, if you've ever read Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death, I mean, that's basically what happens to Boimler. Right. He he has all these ideas about doing all these things and he just gets caught up in this this consumer media that that uh, (laughs) if anyone was feeling seen there, I hope uh, I hope they were, because that was definitely a lot of what Ferenginar is dealing with. We're kind of dealing with now, Mm -hmm. wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And I mean, I'm I'm not too proud to admit that. I, I feel like Boimler is representative of those of us. And I'm, I'm sure you you would be among that group that tends to say like, oh, we tend to be above that sort of thing. Like there, there's the trashiness and the, the advertising that doesn't work on us. We're aware of it. And, you know, oh, we don't get caught up in these trashy reality shows because X, Y, and Z. But then something snags you and you get pulled in and you go, good God, because, you know, advertisers have all these psychological tricks that have worked for a century, right? Like they've figured this crap out and they know how to get inside our brains Mm -hmm. and they did it to Boimler and they do it to us. (laughs) And, And that's it. Even, even when you are someone as driven as, as Boimler, right? Even he can't resist it. And I think that's the other piece of this is, you know, um, obviously again, I work, uh, I work with young people and, I've been told so much like, oh, cell phones, you know, kids need to manage their addictions to cell phones, you know, la la la, we've got to watch out, you know, they're getting addicted to cell phones. And it's like, who's making them this addictive? It's almost like the people who are causing this problem have names and addresses that we can write letters to and, Mm -hmm. and say like, hey, you know, we don't like this, we don't want you to do this, right? But we're so caught up in, in, you know, that cell phone dependency and the media dependency and stuff like that. So I really do appreciate the amount of kind of self-referential societally self-referential i would say like kind of shots across the bow that um that we kind of got in this one yeah definitely what do you think of mariner's kind of turnaround right she meets uh her 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 Ferenginar friend um uh, quimp 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 there we are and she just starts kicking up a stink until he kind of has a sit down with her and he's like maybe you need to stop Mm self-sabotaging. I actually really enjoyed this part of the story. And I've, I've seen some discourse online with people saying like, Oh, it's a big step back for her character and that sort of thing. But I feel like it makes sense for what she's going through. So she has just recently confronted this idea that she self-sabotages, right? That she shoots herself in the foot when it comes to promotions and and that sort of thing. She's now aware of that. She still has those underlying feelings that cause that behavior, but she doesn't know where to direct it now. And before mm-hmm. that would be directed against her coworkers, against her superiors. Now she's getting what she wants. She's feeling supported and it's not sitting well with her because again, those underlying issues are still at play in her, in her mind. And she doesn't know where to take that frustration and aim it. So I I really liked 
that it's not resolved in this episode, which makes me hopeful that we're going to see some real growth from her in the next little while as to where she's going to be able to direct that energy and, and maybe put it into a more useful direction rather than getting trashed and starting fights for no reason, <laughs> you know? And also I, I will note at the end that Ransom is now aware that she starts fights for no reason and will probably help her out with that somehow. I don't know. I, maybe I'm reading too much, but I feel like this is to be continued for sure. And I really feel like we are kind of breaking some tropes in in television. And maybe maybe it's a reason that I should be a little fairer to the next episode. But I do I do like the fact that she's actually like overcoming something. And, and we have to understand that in real life, when you overcome something, quote unquote, it doesn't mean that you're never going to experience insecurity around that again, or that you might not have some kind of relapse or that some new issue is going to come along. I think that's the one thing we need to figure out about life and, and all this sort of stuff things aren't a a television tv show where it gets resolved in three acts and then everyone's happy forever in the credits roll life goes on it has this tendency of doing that and so i think in regards to um seeing how things can be resolved and figured out that's really important and i think this is good for for mariner to be called out like this and get this sort of moment of clarity after making a complete arse of herself mm -hmm. right and and just getting a friend being like you know you can keep doing this or you can change and i think that's it is change is difficult learning is hard mm -hmm. um it makes you frustrated and it, and it makes you feel like you're stupid and all these sorts of feelings but it's how we manage the emotions around growth growing isn't easy um, and it's good to see our favorite characters not having an easy time growing up, but they're in a much more supportive environment to be able to make these changes. And I think that's the other piece of the Cerritos is as much as they're all kind of weird, goofy people, they're all kind of them themselves and they're all living their best lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I uh, was recently a guest on the Infinite Diversity podcast with uh, Thad and Chrissy, and they had a really good point about Mariner in this episode as well, that in a lot of ways, she feels like that friend from high school who, when you go back home, they're still there talking about, you know, catching the winning touchdown at the football, you know, the high school football game in their 40s or whatever. And they've never really moved past that kind of level where they're still partying hard and, and you know, in that phase. And I don't know if that's totally the idea of what's going on with Mariner, but she is definitely kind of stuck in this rut in this kind of repeating loop that she needs to yeah. find a way to break out of kind of similar to that person who's relying on past glories and never really moving past that right so i mean it's a it's a good point and it is sort of this idea that that mariner's kind of getting herself out of a rut that she's really been in the first three full seasons mm -hmm. if you think about it so good for her yeah i'm glad i'm glad she has a friend who's strong enough to to call her out on her on her like full-on like personal implosion yeah <laughs> that, that, that she had right absolutely i loved quimp in this episode he was a great friend i think very matter of fact <laughs> i enjoy i enjoy him so a couple other people that need to kind of uh wake up to their circumstances i think a little bit tendy and rutherford in this episode oh boy yeah. Um, those two, like if they were just best friends for the rest of their life, that would be wonderful. And that would be a great relationship, I think for them as well. But there is mm -hmm. something deeper there that neither of them are willing to admit. Yeah. And, and I don't know, I guess like maybe we've all sort of experienced something to that tune with an individual and there's sort of a, the one that got away feel about where they're at right now is, is and and I I dislike using the term friend zone. Mm -hmm. um, it's very misogynistic. Um, but in this respect, I think there are points in time where perhaps there's someone who you may have had that kind of initial maybe romantic interest in or a developing romantic interest where it's just never going to necessarily be viable to be a couple in that way. And there's a number of mitigating circumstances for that to happen. And I think it takes a certain amount of maturity to be okay with that and to try to still pursue a friendship beyond it. It's not easy. And I don't think we're conditioned in, a, in our society to be able to see people who would otherwise be attracted to 
that person that they represent in their inborn nature kind of thing. Like if you're attracted to a person and you like them, you know, there's always that question of like, can you just be friends, right? Mm -hmm. If you find yourself attracted to a person. And I'm going to say unequivocally, yes, you can. It's just that's where communication needs to be at the most strongest. And I think that's really what this boils down to is Tendi and Rutherford need to state some intentions with each other, whatever those intentions might be, even if they're not necessarily for sure. Because I'm, I don't think D- Rutherford outside of the world of engineering is a terribly decisive individual. <laughs> and I don't really think Tendi is much either. And so where where it counts in their in their careers and their specialties, absolutely, like they're totally trustworthy. But outside of that, they are infants, absolute emotional infants. And mm-hmm. yeah, this is, they're going to need to grow up here and decide on what side of the fence they're going to be on with each other absolutely it's it's very fun to watch them though Mm -hmm. get that that blush that both of them get (laughs) you know why why should hearts be the universal symbol for love it should be you know uh beautiful green eyes what uh i mean nothing (laughs) oh come on come on you two good lord Also, did you happen to catch who plays the Hugsierge Parth in this episode? No, I haven't, and now I want to know. Dave Foley of Kids in the Hall. Oh my god, it is him. I totally recognize <laughs> that voice now, now that I think about it. Yep. Holy crap, it's Dave Foley. Dave Foley's Star in Star Trek, Trek now. <laughs> wow. That makes wow. me so happy. Oh, good episode. I enjoyed it. So let's go on to our, our latest episode, A Few Badgies More. So in this one, we get uh, we get Badgie again. And uh, I can't really say I enjoyed this one as much. I mean, I really loved uh, Jeffrey Combs. His Agamus was, as usual, enjoyable. And just, I don't know, he, he's pulling a lot of Weiyun, I find, but with a little more bravado, I guess hmm. is the best way to put mm-hmm. it. I guess like for me, as much as we talk about how people change and everything, and we've, we've done this kind of conversation on how like, yeah, people are actually getting over their, their crap in this TV show for some reason. And it's kind of interesting to see. I'm a little nonplussed by peanut hamper going straight. I gotta, I gotta just be straight up about that. Yeah, I get that. I, I have to say I'm a fan of peanut hamper getting an actual redemption after last season's a mathematically perfect redemption where we find out she's exactly the same and just, you know, uses the people around her to get what she wants. I think, Mm. and it's a little dissatisfying because the reason she gets redeemed, I guess, is because Starfleet's or the Federation's idea of rehabilitation works and it's a good one. And her time spent in rehabilitation worked and she is now a productive member of society who is nice, <laughs> I guess. So it, it's a little bit, yeah, it, it feels a little bit anticlimactic and it kind of drops off a cliff there and it's a little unsatisfying, but I kind of almost like what they're trying to say through that. What are they, what are they trying to say, Dan? <sighs> I guess they're trying to say that in the 24th century, incarcerating someone and rehabilitating them is a good thing and it works rather than you know the prisons that we have nowadays in the 21st century i guess and that's my problem like rub our 21st century (laughs) noses in it why don't you right jeez freaking things working out because the society is actually geared towards benefiting as most individuals as possible and has done away with the profit motive and actually people just work on benefiting themselves Ugh, gross <laughs> like come on <laughs> everybody's just a bunch of snowflakes now Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, yeah no i mean that's great i mean daystrom institute m- does it again good job you you got an exocomp to not be sociopathic anymore that's that's really actually kind of great um through rehabilitation yeah and by extension kind of rehabilitated agamus too or set him on the path to it i guess mm-hmm. by yeah, a model I, prisoner in peanut hamper <laughs> it's it, it's a it's a weird b plot i gotta say yes. i was expecting i was expecting more and i guess that's the other piece of it is is what we did get was exhausting i i have to say like at the end of it like peanut ha- or um badgies like just 
I mean, obviously he was ripping himself in half in order to stay where he is. And yes, I get the bonk bonk on the head that like by being so dogged in, in our approach and the desires for revenge or the concept of winning or the binary logic of, you know, getting something over someone else. And it is a big problem in our society and we destroy ourselves by doing it. Boy, was I exhausted at the end of it. Like even Badgie looked kind of exhausted when he finally like... <laughs> actualized and became a, a hyperdimensional being or whatever the heck and met the koala. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest Badgie fan. I thought he was hilarious when he was first introduced. Mm-hmm. Um, that episode, by the way, that's the same episode that Ensign Fletcher is in. And so I generally hate that episode, except <laughs> Badgie's in it and he was funny. So it's it's this kind of weird thing. But yeah, Badgie's a bit much. Um, you know, the the kind of splitting into goji and logicy logicy was that it yeah i don't know the goji was a good pun i'll give them that i was like sure okay but the fact that rutherford has now integrated him into his ai at the end of the episode like i'm with the rest of the characters i am backing slowly out of that room and having nothing to do with that well and and that's the thing is like you know i mean i appreciate the fact that like you know i think it was boimler who's just like listen to reason or something or was it was it rutherford i can't remember but basically he gives like a a very logical argument and then that's when like bad g has to rip his logic out otherwise he would have just went oh you're absolutely right never mind click clack clock and that would have been it like mm-hmm. that's almost where it was going for a minute and i'm like whoa is this going to be like just an episode of anti-climax after anti-climax like i don't know the only time someone has ever been like hey this is dumb you shouldn't do this was spider-man 2 and dr octopus is like oh yeah wait a minute no i'm totally out of my depth here <laughs> you know <laughs> that was the only time i ever bought it and, and then just finally like it's like it gets so incredibly untenable they can't go any further with the story that they literally just he just ascends into another plane of being because he just can't possibly they just sky hooked him right out of it mm-hmm. uh out of the entire story so i guess like it's a literal deus ex machina Literally. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I can totally see the writers and them being like, oh yeah, we did that on purpose. <laughs> but I'm also like, you guys just played that one, like a card in, 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 in a, in some fancy card game that I can't think of right now. <laughs> I don't know. It, it was a fine episode. I mean, we've had a pretty good series so far. It's a good season. I mean, actually, no, we've had a pretty good series so far, so not everything's going to be solid, solid gold. And would I like change the channel or like vomit if I watched this again. No, I mean, I still enjoyed it. It still had a lot of great puns in it. I love the fact the koala is back. Yeah, I mean, overall, fun show. Jeffrey Coombs is in it. There's really never anything bad when Jeffrey Coombs is around. Um, so anyway. I mean, I I think I enjoyed it more than you did generally. It's my least favorite episode of the season so far, which I think for me personally is more of a comment on the previous episodes than this one. I just I think the bar has been set extremely high this season. This one doesn't quite meet that bar, but I still really enjoyed it. And it's one that I think benefits oddly enough from a rewatch when you kind of know where things are going. It's a little bit more interesting to kind of examine Hmm. some of the, the choices and stuff. So for example, the first time you watch it, Tendi comes across as extremely naive because we, as the audience, I think are expected to think that like, based on the evidence of what we've seen peanut hamper saying at the start of the episode, obviously the rehabilitation hasn't worked and she's still planning these evil things. And Tendi is just a head in the clouds, optimism person. Who's like, Mm. Oh yay. She's gone through her rehabilitation. She's obviously ready to rejoin society. Now I'll go speak at her parole hearing. And if you watch that again, she's right the whole time. It's just, we don't realize it. She's sitting on the beach playing with sand, just knowing that peanut hamper is fine wherever she is. And she's right. And I think that's hilarious. And I kind of really enjoy that. The one thing where I'm like, uh, I don't know. They have Boimler give a line so that it, it, it feels better, but they let Agamus re conquer a whole planet. And Boimler is like, yeah, this totally isn't something Starfleet can fix in 10 minutes. Oh, okay. I see what you're doing there. You're making us more okay with this, but the coastal cities fell according to how many people died. What is, you just let him do that. Okay. We'll just wave that under the, sweep that under the rug with a line. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, that that is a good point. <clears throat> so many other things were happening. I did forget that Agamus basically enslaved an entire planet real quick. Yeah. And then, yeah, there was 10 minutes left in the episode, and Boimler was like, well, we aren't fixing this, so moving on. <laughs> 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 Which is interesting, because here I'm quibbling over, you know, something going right for a hardened criminal who is no longer a hardened criminal and you know overall kind of everything going pretty well and people's like good-natured opinions on things prove correct and here i'm fussy about it when i totally (laughs) ignored the fact that an entire planet got taken over and that's probably what the writers would tell me i don't know it it feels like the writers don't want you to really care about the planet being taken over though either (laughs) so (laughs) no no but obviously i mean i'm guessing that that's intentional Mm. so that a, a point like that or something to that tune could be made right right is you know you star trek folk want want your bad guys to stay bad like imagine if Khan, you know comes by on the reliant and is like you know what jim we got off to a really bad start (laughs) (laughs) you know like imagine that (laughs) uh yeah yeah i I would say give it another watch if it's got a bad taste in your mouth and I, i don't know it again it's still not it's still my least favorite of the of the season so but you're right least favorite in what is you know i don't know for me it's like the green skittle i'll eat it it's good it's <laughs> fine it's not my favorite I'd, I'd much rather a red or an orange i mean even a purple but uh you know green's fine yeah all right well i i think that's pretty much all i i've got to say on the uh on the matter but um uh, any predictions moving ahead i mean um any thoughts on on what might be happening i've i've got some some hopes and some interests we're we're coming to the end here and and uh yeah, how do you feel about that? Well, yeah, just three episodes left in the season and we've yeah, we've got to wrap up this whole threat, this this ship that's been we thought blowing all these ships up, but apparently are stealing them and and leaving debris as a fake out kind of thing. Mhm. You called it, by the way. Yeah, I mean, me and, and a bunch of other people that was yeah yeah but no, uh, specifically you dan from positively trek <laughs> uh called it we're, we're saying that here hashtag dan was right I, i'm i'm not with him but uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no i'm i'm curious to see what like so all of these people are presumably still alive and being held or or being used for something what that is we don't know i i'm not sure i i I really feel like I have no kind of idea what this could be. I thought maybe that beam was transporting somebody them somewhere, but I guess they're just tractoring the ships away somewhere for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm loath to make a, uh, make a, a prediction because I've been pretty wrong so far, which I don't mind. It's, it's fun to be wrong, to be honest, uh, cause then you get to learn new stuff. I think moving forward, we're, we're probably going to see the plot, you know, narrow in a lot more in its focus. Um, I could see us getting something big here in the, in the last three episodes and, and maybe things will kind of tumble towards a conclusion to some degree. Um, not in a bad way, but I think I think a lot's going to happen in the next three episodes, and I know that's a that's a real uh, real out there prediction that the last three episodes of of a season are going to be really really intense. But I'm I'm guessing we're going to see some some big stuff happen. Yeah, I think so too, for sure. So definitely looking forward to the finale, and the probably the last two episodes are going to be a, a a thing like last season. So I hope we see Talyn again. I've missed her the last couple episodes. We'd better see Talyn again, and they better not murk her. I don't want her dying. Come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess kind of a spoiler alert here. I did see somebody in an interview say she's in season five, so... Oh, perfect. Okay, good. <laughs> I mean, and, and that's it. Like, what, uh, the old concept, Star Trek dead, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> Just shoot her in a photon tube to some planet. She'll be fine. She'll yeah, yeah. Was it hard to bring Talyn back? Actually, it was super easy. Barely an inconvenience. <laughs> <laughs> Barely an inconvenience. Oh, I love it. Well, we hope everyone is enjoying themselves and is enjoying the trek. And uh, you can always find us on the discussions um, on Positively Trek. I'm known to poke my head up every once in a while and um, misrepresent stuff. I... I the other day, my my stepdaughter had a, a a plushie around, and every time I 
went over and had a look at it, I, for the very like tiniest moment, thought it was one of those moopsies. <laughs> and uh, it actually kind of made me, it did sort of make me feel a little off. Um, I, <laughs> I can't say I would be terrified, but like the concept of the moopsie is kind of scary. It's it's like the Monty Python bunny, but yeah. intergalactic and terrifying. <laughs> and, and, and verbal. It's like a Pokemon from hell. <laughs> You're, so you're hanging out in the, the Positively Trek discussion group, seeing some of that Once, stuff? Yep, yep. I, I poked my head up. I, I read the stuff, but I don't n- terribly comment very often. But that's just my nature. Um, but it's, it's nice to see people talking. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of basically the only place I've been hanging out online lately, too. So that yeah, makes sense. I'll see you there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we'll see you all there next time. And in the meantime, stay positive. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.